Well, it's great to be with you in person today, as uh, Jules and I have been in the last few weeks, and it's so good to see things coming back to normal. Uh, it was C.S. Lewis, the famous Christian writer, who said that Christians need adventures, and our 20-year adventure in the U.S. is uh, coming to a close. And a really important part of that adventure has been this congregation. Uh, for 16 years, uh, the people in this congregation, the friends that we've made in this place, the fellowship we've enjoyed, the ministry that has served us, and the opportunity from time to time to serve ourselves uh, for others' sake. And so we're leaving with uh, very grateful hearts, uh, grateful to God. Uh, let me now pray. Our good God, Heavenly Father, may what I say now be honouring to you and glorifying to our Lord Jesus and please the Holy Spirit who came at that Pentecost. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, my friends, I want to ask the question today of just what is the Holy Spirit doing now? And the reason I pose that question goes back to uh, my early days as a new Christian. I went along to hear my first evangelist at a place called Hornsby, north of Sydney, in the town hall. Night after night, the evangelist from South Africa preached. He was a very fine preacher, but every night he just stopped at the cross and invited us to come to the cross and give our lives to Jesus. So I was somewhat puzzled. I kept thinking to myself, well, but what is Jesus doing now? And I wonder if some people have that same question of the Holy Spirit. Just indeed, what is the Holy Spirit doing now? Now, helpfully, Jay just told us a little while ago in his address to the children about a whole range of things that the Spirit is doing now. But I'm going to major on one of them, more about that in a moment. So this being the day of Pentecost in our church's calendar, I think that's an important question to ask because uh, the day of Pentecost, we heard about it, didn't we? Read Acts chapter 2 was read to us. That was a long, long time ago. And what a spectacular story. Uh, the birth of the church is the body of Christ and how the Spirit continues the mission of Jesus in the world. Thousands were converted on that day, about 3,000, we're told. There were strange phenomena. We heard about tongues, there was the mighty rushing wind. So much so that some of the bystanders, as we heard, thought that these apostles had been down to the local boozer <laughs> and had got drunk first thing in the morning. But again, that was a long, long time ago. And so it is that question of what the Spirit is doing now that animates this sermon. Now, a whole book could be written on this, but I want to speak about one of the things that the Spirit brings. It's something spoken of in our creed, which we're going to say soon. The Spirit as the Lord, the giver of life the giver of life. And I want to speak about the desire to follow Jesus 
that comes from that new life that the Spirit brings. The Spirit brought that desire and that new life on that day of Pentecost. And I want to say he does so today. Let me share two stories of real people to make the point this Pentecost Sunday. One's ancient, one's contemporary. We heard one of the names that I'm going to speak about, <clears throat> one of the people from Jay just earlier, so this uh, really goes well. Um, you'd think we planned it, or maybe the Spirit has something to do with that. I want to talk about Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He is someone who found out about that new life in a celebrated encounter with Jesus. And the encounter illustrates a point made right at the end of chapter 2 of that same gospel. Jesus knew all people. He did not need any to testify about mankind, for he knew what was in each person, male or female. Jesus could read Nicodemus. Let me share the story from John chapter 3 and make comments interspersed as I do. Verse 1. Now, there was a Pharisee. That's a strict Jewish sect at the time. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council. So we're dealing with a heavyweight here. Religiously and in terms of the Jewish world, politically, as one of my colleagues at Trinity put it, you could say this was a reverend professor doctor. Nicodemus. He had connections. He came to Jesus at night. Well, some scholars think that uh, that actually reveals something about the darkness in his own life, but it may also mean that he really didn't want it to be public. And he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, but no one can perform the signs that you're doing if God's not with him. Uh, signs like turning water into wine that we read about in the earlier chapter at that wedding at Cana. Now Jesus replies, very truly, and it's a form of words that signals something important about to be said, I tell you, Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God unless, unless they are born again or born from above. Strong language. No way can you see God's kingdom without a new birth of some kind, a new life. <clears throat> well, Nicodemus asked, well, how can someone be born when they're old? Surely you can't enter a second time into a mother's womb to be born. Now, <clears throat> you see, Nicodemus went gynecological when he should have gone theological at this point, given his uh, knowledge of the Old Testament. Jesus answers him. He says, Nicodemus, truly, very truly, again, something important is about to be said, I tell you that no one can enter the kingdom of God unless, unless they're born of water and spirit, a new entry into life. The language is strong again. No way, no way can you enter the sphere of God's kingdom, his personal rule over your life without a new birth, a new life, and Jesus explains why. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit, and I believe it's the Holy Spirit here, gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must, of necessity, be born again. 
The wind blows where it pleases. And Jay referred to that a bit earlier. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it's the same with everyone born of the Spirit, says Jesus. Well, Nicodemus is perplexed. Well, how can this be? You are Israel's teacher, says Jesus, and you do not understand these things. He clearly expected Nicodemus to know this, even if it's only in his head and not in his heart. Old Testament prophets like Ezekiel and Jeremiah would have taught this leader through their writings that God needs to replace our hearts, our hearts of stone, our unresponsive hearts, with hearts of flesh that are alive to God. Jesus elaborates. Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. Then how will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? You see, the first birth makes you and, and myself members of an earthly family. But this new birth makes us a member of God's family. And did you hear the spirit is compared, his working is compared to the wind? So clearly there is mystery involved in how the spirit works. Sometimes it's a gentle breeze, isn't it? And I liked the way Jay put it. You're by Lake Michigan, you're under a tree. The breeze is caressing your cheeks and you don't have a mask, you can actually feel it. <laughs> but if you're like Jules and me, and you were living in Birmingham, Alabama, in tornado season, you're sitting in your basement with your bicycle helmets on, with your NOAA radio blaring, and just being drowned out by the ferocious wind outside. Now, the experience of the Spirit as a gentle breeze, I think that's probably more true of those raised in Christian homes who may never know when they actually came to believe in Jesus, but truly do. Like Timothy, Paul's younger associate, the Apostle Paul's younger associate, but for others it's a hurricane of change. Think of Paul, the Apostle. He was Saul of Tarsus. He's on the roads of Damascus. He's a persecutor of Christians. The risen Christ appears to him, the Spirit comes, and he is transformed. The hurricane. In either case, it's very, very real. Now, the change the Spirit brings into an individual's life is not to be misunderstood. Now, how could it be misunderstood? Well, the best way to understand it and avoid misunderstanding. I heard from a theologian of note by the name of Lewis Smeeds many, many years ago at a conference I'd organized in Australia. And the question was put to him in question time, does the spirit change a person's personality? He said, no, the spirit doesn't change your temperament, your personality. Extroverts don't suddenly become introverts. Introverts don't suddenly become extroverts. 
Rather, what the spirit does, he argued, was change a person's character over time in a Christ-like direction. I thought they were very wise words. Importantly, my friends, what the spirit does in this new life gives us a sense of the value of Jesus that we did not have before. For at the heart of our following of Jesus is a value judgment that he is worthy. He did so for Nicodemus. Listen to these three texts from John's Gospel. One I've already read to you. Chapter 3. There's a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, who came to Jesus at night. Then in chapter 7, Jesus is now very controversial. It's probably at a Jewish council meeting. And Nicodemus, we read, who had gone earlier to Jesus, who was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn a man, that's Jesus, without first hearing him to find out what he's been doing? Well, they didn't like that. Are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you'll find that no prophet comes out of Galilee. He was rebuked. But you notice he's publicly defending Jesus. And then in chapter 19, later Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. And Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. That's a serious commitment, a serious sense of the worth of Jesus. And unlike the disciples who were hiding away, the apostles, after the crucifixion, Nicodemus was willing to take a risk. He identified with the crucified Christ like so many are doing in the majority of the world today, to their cost. As I say, at the heart of our faith is a value judgment that Jesus is worth it. He is that treasure in the field because he is the embodiment of the kingdom. He is that pearl of enormous price. But that was long ago, wasn't it? So what about now? And that brings me to my second story, the Kathy Island story. It's a contemporary one. Her desire to follow Jesus began when she was 18. She's now 58. Uh, she was an up-and-coming model living in Paris, uh, quite poor, so she and the other models lived in a place they called the dungeon. It was a hard time. But she was sticking it out. And then one night, going through her suitcase, she found that her mother had secretly packed a Bible in it. This is what she said, I didn't even know how to read one. I'd never read one before in my life. I opened up the book of Matthew, and as I'm reading in the middle of the night, I knew I was holding the truth in my hands. There wasn't anybody in the room saying, be this denomination or that denomination. It was like, 
I want to follow Jesus Christ. And he was nothing like I thought. She goes on to talk about the fashion industry. In my industry at that time, it was filled with a lot of really sketchy guys. I was drawn to how powerful Jesus was, how loving and honouring he was of women. It gave me such comfort. And so he became my Lord and Saviour. The experience forever changed my life. Well, eventually she moved from being a model, a cover girl, to an avid reader of the Bible, a businesswoman, three kids, a husband, probably a dog and a cat. She hasn't mentioned that, but... She says, the message that was, uh, I felt pounding in my heart was, put me first. I will give you more time. So Jesus was speaking to her, better time with your kids. So she started praying every day. And she said, on those days when I didn't, it was not a good idea. Because if I opened my mouth to say something, I'd be apologising before 8am, she said. Because she became a very powerful businesswoman. Her company that she built after her modelling career was worth about a half a billion dollars. But she says, the gospel is the core of every decision I make. We're not a Christian company. We have team members from all different backgrounds and different beliefs. I don't force my faith or beliefs on anyone, but I'm not ashamed of them. I can't do anything to contradict it. I cannot compromise my faith. I'm just so thankful for God's grace because I've made so many messes in my life. It's not a Pollyanna story. And he gives us a perspective, an eternal perspective. And she's gone on to be a philanthropist of great note, whether it's cancer, whether it's children with paediatric cancer. I'm grateful and thankful for the blessed life I've been given, she says. Two stories, one ancient, one now. In both, Christ brought new life by his spirit, a new start, a fresh start, a fresh life, and it showed itself in wanting to follow Jesus, wanting to identify with him, wanting to serve others before oneself. And the New Testament tells me it's the Spirit who is the source of this desire, the Spirit who came at Pentecost. But I'm wondering, is it your desire this morning? Here in this congregation or watching, on your television screen, your computer screen. Or maybe it's faded. You've just got spiritually winded in this COVID-plagued time. Winded by events, winded by what's happened to people you love. Perhaps it's time to get reacquainted with Jesus. Say to God, I want 
to want to follow you, to follow him. Well, let me be practical. Our Anglican tradition is one of word and sacrament, isn't it? Jesus is central to what we do today. We are, uh, as it were, doing what J.B. Phillips, that Bible translator of the past, captured in a book title of his. We're here for appointment with God. But that's really what this service is about. Jesus is central to the word we hear. So we heard the gospel read and we stood to hear it. And Jesus is central to what we do hereafter. For that is a parable of the gospel. There is information about Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross to make us right with God. Think about it. Every one of us has been died for. Everyone here, everyone watching at home. And there's an invitation for us to come to him. And there's a response with empty hands of faith. We receive what is offered. And it's the spirit who gives us the want, the desire to embrace just that. The Spirit is that author of life that Psalm 104 teaches about. The Spirit who can be the breeze or the hurricane. The Spirit who stirs us to follow Jesus amidst the cacophony of competing cultural voices at the moment. I like what the Puritans of the 17th century in England and America had to say. An excellent saying. They also had excellent ale, but that's another story. <laughs> They said, no one has finally perished whose face is turned towards Jesus Christ. Person following him. You can't follow if you're not looking. The Spirit stirs up our desire to look. It was in Matthew's Gospel that Kathy Ireland met Jesus. Because you see, the Spirit that we heard about in John chapter 15 the advocate, he has come to bear witness to him. The Spirit is the key to that turning. So consider this prayer as I close this morning. Especially if you've grown weary. Or if you're not even sure you're in this kingdom of what Jesus, what Jesus speaks of. How about praying something like this? Lord Jesus, stir up in me a desire to follow you, to want to want to follow you in this world and in the life to come. Help me by the spirit of Pentecost, the giver of life, to keep my face turned to you or turning to you. Amen.